Section four of A Tale of a Tub by Jonathan Swift. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I have now with much pains and study conducted the reader to a period where he must expect to hear of great revolutions. For no sooner had our learned brother, so often mentioned, got a warm house of his own over his head, than he began to look big and to take mightily upon him, insomuch that unless the gentle reader out of his great candour will please a little to exalt his idea. I am afraid he will henceforth hardly know the hero of the play when he happens to meet him, his parts, his dress, and his mien being so much altered. He told his brothers he would have them to know that he was their elder, and consequently his father's sole heir. Nay, a while after he would not allow them to call him brother, but Mr. Peter. And then he must be styled father peter and sometimes my lord peter to support this grandeur which he soon began to consider could not be maintained without a better fond than what he was born to after much thought he cast about at last to turn projector and virtuoso wherein he so well succeeded that many famous discoveries projects and machines which bear great vogue and practice at present in the world are owing entirely to lord peter's invention I will deduce the best account I have been able to collect of the chief amongst them, without considering much the order they came out in, because I think authors are not well agreed as to that point. I hope, when this treatise of mine shall be translated into foreign languages, as I may without vanity, affirm that the labour of collecting, the faithfulness in recounting, and the great usefulness of the matter to the public will amply deserve that justice, that of the several academies abroad especially those of France and Italy, will favourably accept these humble offers for the advancement of universal knowledge. I do also advertise the most reverend fathers, the Eastern missionaries, that I have purely for their sakes made use of such words and phrases as will best admit any easy turn into any of the Oriental languages, especially the Chinese. And so I proceed with great content of mind upon reflecting how much emolument this whole globe of earth is like to reap by my labours. The first undertaking of Lord Peter was to purchase a large continent, lately said to have been discovered in Terra Australis Incognita. The tract of land he bought at a very great pennyworth from the discoverers themselves, though some pretended to doubt whether they had ever been there, and then retailed it into several cantons to certain dealers, who carried over colonies were all shipwrecked in the voyage, upon which Lord Peter sold the said continent to other customers again and again, and again, and again, with the same success. The second project I shall mention was his sovereign remedy for the worms, especially those in the spleen. The patient was to eat nothing after supper for three nights. As soon as he went to bed, he was carefully to lie on one side, and when he grew weary, to turn upon the other. He must also duly confine his two eyes to the same object, by no means break wind at both ends together, without manifest occasion. These prescriptions diligently observed, the worms would avoid insensibly by perspiration ascending through the brain. A third invention was the erecting of a whispering office, for the public good and ease of all such as are hypochondriacal or troubled with the colic, as likewise of all eavesdroppers, physicians, midwives, small politicians, friends fallen out, repeating poets, lovers happy or in despair, 
bawds, privy councillors, pages, parasites and buffoons, in short, all such as were in danger of bursting with too much wind. An ass's head was placed so conveniently that the party affected might easily with his mouth accost either of the animal's ears, which he was to apply close for a certain space, and by a fugitive faculty peculiar to the ears of that animal, receive immediate benefit either by erectation or expiration or evumission. Another very beneficial project of Lord Peter's was an office of insurance for tobacco pipes, martyrs of the modern zeal, volumes of poetry, shadows, and rivers, that these nor any of these shall receive damage by fire. From whence our friendly societies may plainly find themselves to be only transcribers from this original, though the one and the other have been of great benefit to the undertakers as well as of equal to the public. Lord Peter was also held the original author of puppets and rare shows, the great usefulness whereof being so generally known, I shall not enlarge farther upon this particular. But another discovery for which he was much renowned was his famous universal pickle. For having remarked how your common pickle in use among housewives was of no further benefit than to preserve dead flesh and certain kinds of vegetables, Peter, with great cost as well as art, had contrived a pickle proper for houses, gardens, towns, men, women, children, and cattle, wherein he could preserve them as sound as insects in amber. Now this pickle to the taste, the smell and the sight, appeared exactly the same with what is in common service for beef and butter and herrings, and has been often that way applied with great success, but for its May sovereign virtues was quite a different thing. For Peter would put in a certain quantity of his powder, pimplim pimp, after which it never failed of success. The operation was performed by sparge fraction in a proper time of the moon. The patient who was to be pickled, if it were a house, would infallibly be preserved from all spiders, rats, and weasels. If the party affected were a dog, he should be exempt from mange and madness and hunger. It also infallibly took away all scabs and lice and scald heads from children, never hindering the patient from any duty, either at bed or board. But of all Peter's rarities he most valued a certain set of bulls, whose race was by great fortune preserved in a lineal descent from those that guarded the golden fleece. Though some who pretended to observe them curiously doubted the breed had not been kept entirely chaste, because they had degenerated from their ancestors in some qualities, and had acquired others very extraordinary, but a foreign mixture. The bulls of Colchis are recorded to have brazen feet, but whether it happened by ill pasture and running, by an ally from intervention of other parents from stolen intrigues, whether a weakness in their progenitors had impaired the seminal virtue, or by decline necessary through a long course of time, the originals of nature being depraved in these latter sinful ages of the world, whatever was the cause, it is certain that Lord Peter's bulls were extremely vitiated by the rust of time in the metal of their feet, which was now sunk into common lead. However, the terrible roaring peculiar to their lineage was preserved as likewise that faculty of breathing out fire from their nostrils, which notwithstanding many of their detractors took to be a feat of art, and to be nothing so terrible as it appeared, proceeding only from their usual course of diet, which was of squibs and crackers. However, they had two peculiar marks which extremely distinguished them from the bulls of Jason, and which I have not met together in a description of any other monster beside that in 
Horace various inducere plumus and atrum definit in picem, for these had fishes' tails, yet upon occasion could outfly any bird in the air. Peter put these bulls upon several employs. Sometimes he would set them a-roaring to fright naughty boys and make them quiet. Sometimes he would send them out upon errands of great importance, where it is wonderful to recount, and perhaps the cautious reader may think much to believe it. An appetitus sensibilis deriving itself through the whole family from their noble ancestors, guardians of the golden fleece, they continued so extremely fond of gold, that if Peter sent them abroad, though it were only upon a compliment, they would roar and spit and belch and snivel out fire, and keep a perpetual coil till you flung them a bit of gold. But then, pulveris exigui jactu, they would grow calm and quiet as lambs. In short, whether by secret connivance or encouragement from their master, or out of their own licorice affection to gold, or both, it is certain they were no better than a sort of sturdy, swaggering beggars, and where they could not prevail to get an arms would make women miscarry and children fall into fits, who to this very day usually call sprites and hobgoblins by the name of bull-beggars. They grew at last so very troublesome to the neighbourhood that some gentlemen of the north-west got a parcel of right English bulldogs and baited them so terribly that they felt it ever after. I must needs mention one more of Lord Peter's projects, which was very extraordinary. It discovered him to be master of a high reach and profound invention. Whenever it happened that any rogue of Newgate was condemned to be hanged, Peter would offer him a pardon for a certain sum of money, which, when the poor caitiff had made all shifts to scrape up and send, his lordship would return a piece of paper in this form. To all mayors, sheriffs, jailers, constables, bailiffs, hangmen, etc., whereas we are informed that A. B. remains in the hands of you, or any of you, under the sentence of death. We will and command you, upon sight hereof, to let the said prisoner depart to his own habitation, whether he stands condemned for murder, sodomy, rape, sacrilege, incest, treason, blasphemy, etc., for which this shall be your sufficient warrant, and it you fail hereof, God damn you and yours to all eternity, and so we bid you heartily farewell, you most humble man's man, Emperor Peter. The wretches trusting to this lost their lives and money too. I desire of those whom the learned among posterity will appoint for commentators upon this elaborate treatise, that they will proceed with great caution upon certain dark points wherein all who are not very adepti may be in danger to form rash and hasty conclusions, especially in some mysterious paragraphs, where certain arcana are joined for brevity's sake, which in the operation must be divided. And I am certain that future sons of art will return large thanks to my memory for so grateful, so useful an innuendo. It will be no difficult part to persuade the reader that so many worthy discoveries met with great success in the world, though I may justly assure him that I have related much the smallest number. My design having been only to single out such as will be of most benefit for public imitation, but which best serve to give some idea of the reach and wit of the inventor. And therefore it need not be wondered if by this time Lord Peter was become exceeding rich. 
but alas he had kept his brain so long and so violently upon the rack that at last it shook itself and began to turn round for a little ease in short what with pride projects and knavery poor peter was grown distracted and conceived the strangest imaginations in the world in the height of his fits as it is usual with those who run mad out of pride he would call himself god almighty and sometimes monarch of the universe i have seen him says my author take three old high-crowned hats and clap them all on his head three-storey high with a huge bunch of keys at his girdle and an angling rod in his hand in which guise whoever went to take him by the hand in the way of salutation peter with much grace like a well-educated spaniel would present them with his foot and if they refused his civility then he would raise it as high as their chops and give them a damned kick in the mouth which hath ever since been called a salute whoever walked by without paying him their compliments having a wonderful strong breath he would blow their hats off into the dirt meanwhile his affairs at home went upside down and his two brothers had a wretched time where his first boutard was to kick both their wives one morning out of doors and his own too and in their stead gave orders to pick up the first three strollers could be met with in the streets a while after he nailed up the cellar door and would not allow his brothers a drop of drink to their victuals dining one day at an alderman's in the city peter observed him expiating after the manner of his brethren in the praises of his sirloin beef said the sage magistrate is the king of meat beef comprehends in it the quintessence of partridge and quail and venison and pheasant and plum pudding and custard when peter came home he would needs take the fancy of cooking up this doctrine into use and apply the precept in default of a sirloin to his brown loaf bread says he dear brothers is the staff of life in which bread is contained inclusive the quintessence of beef mutton veal venison partridge plum pudding and custard and to render all complete there is intermingled a due quantity of water whose crudities are also corrected by yeast of balm through which means it becomes a wholesome fermented liquor diffused through the mass of the bread upon the strength of these conclusions next day at dinner was the brown loaf served up in all the formality of a city feast come brothers said peter fall to and spare not he is excellent good mutton or oh, hold now my hand is in i'll help you at which word in much ceremony with fork and knife he carves out two good slices of a loaf and presents each on a plate to his brothers the elder of the two not suddenly entering into lord peter's conceit began with very civil language to examine the mystery my lord said he i doubt with great submission there may be some mistake what says peter you are pleasant come then let us hear this jest your head is so big with none in the world my lord but unless i am very much deceived your lordship was pleased in a while ago to let fall a word about mutton and i would be glad to see it with all my heart now said peter appearing in great surprise i do not comprehend this at all upon which the younger interposing to set the business right my lord said he my brother i suppose is hungry and longs for the mutton your lordship promised us to dinner pray 
said Peter, take me along with you. Either you are both mad, or disposed to be merrier than I approve of. If you there do not like your piece, I will carve you another, though I should take that to be the choice bit of the whole shoulder. What then, my lord, replied the first, it seems this is a shoulder of mutton all this while. Pray, sir, says Peter, eat your victuals and leave off your impertinence, if you please, for I am not disposed to relish it at present. Being over-provoked at the affected seriousness of Peter's countenance, my lord, said he, I can only say that to my eyes and fingers and teeth and nose it seems to be nothing but a crust of bread, upon which the second put in his words, I never saw a piece of mutton in my life so nearly resembling a slice from a twelve-penny loaf. Look ye, gentlemen, cries Peter in a rage, to convince you what a couple of blind, positive, ignorant, willful puppies you are. I will use but this plain argument. By God, it is true, good, natural mutton, as any in Leadenhall Market. And God confound you both eternally if you offer to believe otherwise. Such a thundering proof as this left no further room for objection. The two unbelievers began to gather and pocket up their mistake as hastily as they could. Why, truly, said the first, uh, upon more mature consideration. Aye, says the other, interrupting him. Now I have thought better on the thing, your lordship. It seems to have a, a good, great deal of reason. Very well, said Peter. Here, boy, fill me a beer-glass of claret. Here's to you both with all my heart. The two brethren, much delighted to see him so readily appeased, returned their most humble thanks, and said they would be glad to pledge his lordship. "'That you shall,' said Peter. "'I am not a person to refuse you anything that is reasonable. Wine, moderately taken, is a cordial. Here is a glass apiece for you. It is true natural juice from the grape, none of your damned vintners' brewings.' Having spoke thus, he presented to each of them another large dry crust bidding them drink it off, and not be bashful, for it would do them no hurt. The two brothers, having after performed the usual office in such delicate conjunctures of staring a sufficient period at Lord Peter and each other, and finding how matters were like to go, resolved not to enter on a new dispute, but let him carry the point as he pleased, for he was now got into one of his mad fits, and to argue or expostulate further would only serve to render him a hundred times more untractable. I have chosen to relate this worthy matter in all its circumstances, because it gave a principal occasion to that great and famous rupture which happened about the same time among these brethren, and was never afterwards made up, but of that I shall treat at large in another section. However, it is certain that Lord Peter, even in his lucid intervals, was very lewdly given in his common conversation, extremely willful and positive, and would at any time rather argue to the death than allow himself to be once in an error. Besides, he had an abominable faculty of telling huge palpable lies upon all occasions, and swearing not only to the truth, but cursing the whole company to hell if they pretended to make the least scruple of believing him. One time he swore he had a cow at home, which gave as much milk at a meal as would fill three thousand churches, and what was yet more extraordinary would never turn sour. Another time he was telling of an old signpost that belonged to his father, with nails and timber enough on it to build sixteen large men of war. 
talking one day of Chinese wagons, which are made so light as to sail over mountains. Zounds, said Peter, where's the wonder of that? By God, I saw a large house of lime and stone travel over sea and land, granting that it stopped sometimes to bait above two thousand German leagues. And that which was the good of it, he would swear desperately all the while that he never told a lie in his life, and at every word, by God, gentlemen, I tell you nothing but the truth, and the devil boil them eternally that will not believe me. In short, Peter grew so scandalous that all the neighbourhood began to plain words to say he was no better than a knave two brothers, long weary of his ill usage, resolved at last to leave him, but first they humbly desired a copy of their father's will, which they had now lain by neglected time out of mind. Instead of granting this request, he called them rogues, traitors, and the rest of the vile names he could muster up. However, while he was abroad one day upon his projects, the two youngsters watched their opportunity, and made a shift to come at the will, and took a copy of error by which they presently saw how grossly they had been abused, their father having left them equal heirs, and strictly commanded that whatever they got should lie in common among them all, pursuant to which their next enterprise was to break open the cellar door and get a little good drink to spirit and comfort their hearts. In copying the will they had met another precept against whoring, divorce, and separate maintenance, upon which their next work was to discard their concubines and send for their wives. Whilst all this was in agitation, there enters a solicitor from Newgate, desiring Lord Peter would please to procure a pardon for a thief that was to be hanged to-morrow. But the two brothers told him he was a coxcomb to seek pardons from a fellow who deserved to be hanged much better than his client, and discovered all the method of that imposture in the same form I delivered it a while ago, advising the solicitor to put his friend upon obtaining a pardon from the king. In the midst of all this platter and revolution, in comes Peter with a file of dragoons at his heels, and gathering from all hands what was in the wind, he and his gang, after several millions of scurrilities and curses not very important here to repeat, by main force very fairly kicks them both out of doors, would never let them come under his roof from that day to this. End of section four.